All right, let's pick up um, from where we left off. Um, we spent a bit of time discussing the actual swara, the logic, as we say, the reason behind why there's this gap between uh, completing a meat meal and starting with something that's milchik. And we, sh we showed that there was a machlok at Rishonim about this. And um, we then went on to demonstrate what we call the nafkaminas, the the differences, the applications of how they would, these two opinions, Rashi and the Rambam, how they would then uh, apply to um, unusual cases. So when we talk about um, the Rambam, the Rambam spoke about the fact that people would eat meat and then the meat would get stuck between your teeth. And that would be the issue um, when you then had, when the, then you had milk, if uh, six hours wouldn't have passed, then you would uh, you would have this basa of problem, whereas uh, Rashi essentially told us that it's more the the residue, the residue of fat that remains in your mouth, that um, that that's there for a long time, and that would cause the basa of problem. So the difference between how you'd apply in interesting cases, you know, what would happen when somebody would eat fleshics, but the nature of how they ate the fleshik wouldn't leave a fatty residue or wouldn't have any pieces to get stuck in your teeth if you're having a soup or something like that, if you're having medicine, you know, all, that's what we discussed uh, last time. Okay, so uh, we then left off, I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but there was a bit of homework for you to read uh, the whole story about um, meat, which is uh, derived from stem cells. And, the chance and the interest. Eh? What do you mean? Ah, yeah, yeah, hello. Yeah, so anyway, in the end of the day, if you, you've got the essay to read there if you want to catch it up. Um, and the whole discussion about what it looks like. In the end of the day, it seems that um, one of the major poskim in today's day and age of Ashavas put time into it. And, um, you know, basically concluded that if it looks like meat and, you know, even 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 if you can come along and tell me that it's came from somewhere else, but it looks exactly like meat and tastes like meat, then it should be treated as as meat. So that would then require some more further study as science gets better and better. Halacha will have to tackle it. In the meantime, that's more or less where you're holding. So it's not really going to change that substantially, this idea of having meat other than the health issues, you know? Well, even if you say that th that's the only problem, you've got, um, you can maybe only make use of the fact that it's not proper meat, you know, in a kind of a whatever situation, somebody's not well or whatever, maybe you might try and use that instead. But um, yeah, it seems to be that that's, it's going to be, at the moment, it's going to be treated as meat. But you can look, read the essay and see what um, interesting points come out of there. Okay, so now we move on to page 46. So it's different from plant-based. Yeah, it's a totally, you know, it looks exactly like meat. It's just that it came from stem cells. So under microscope, it looks exactly the same. The question is, does the origin of where it came from make a major difference? Yeah. 
All right, so now uh, we sort of have another example um, dealing with why it's important to know the background or the in-depth background of, of, this, uh, of these dinim, um, even the, even the so-called minority opinions that aren't really mainstream halakha. The reason why it's important to know them is because when you get into non-ideal situations or unique situations that have their own challenges, you can often make use of uh, the fact that there are lenient opinions in in the whole discussion. And uh, as the heading on page 46 tells us, when we get to bringing up children, you know, who uh, have a mind of their own and, you know, may not bar either the Rambam or Rashi as to why they can't have their meat when they want to have their meat, you know, that needs to be dealt with, right? So what what leniencies are there with regard to, with regard to children? So... On page 46, you'll see that the first entry here is, uh, is a Rishon, the Meiri. And uh, he has a leniency over here that with regard to with regard to children and specifically encourages that the leniency only be used with regard to um, chicken and not meat. So if you're going to have some sort of a, an issue with your kids not having um, or not wait, wanting to wait or you can't get them to wait, they're too young. So if you're going to imply, apply a certain kula, a certain leniency, so understand that the original debate was that chicken was up for debate, whether it was real meat or not. Uh, most of us meat eaters understand the issue quite well. There's a big nafkamina between chicken and meat. And uh, in the days of the Gomorrah, um, the mission of the Gomorrah, Rabbi Yossi Aglili, who lived in the north of Israel, as the name Galili suggests, Galil. So he, he was the rov there and he paskened that chicken was not meat. And therefore all those people who lived in his town and, and you know all the time that he was alive and maybe even a little bit after, they all followed his psak. So you have people in the north of Israel that you could have a uh, you could have cheese on a, on chicken if that was of interest to you. You know, you could have your cheeseburger if the meat that you were using was actually chicken. As far as Abiyosi Agili was concerned, it was totally different from meat. And uh, I don't know exactly how long that custom lasted for, but eventually it, it fell out of use as the majority of Amishal were going to not make any difference between meat and chicken. But knowing that there is this argument already, even though we don't Paskin like that, gives us an opportunity to be lenient when we need to. So whenever there's a prohibition of having meat and milk and you've got no choice you can't get around it so then okay use that hair tip so you got you got you got children who are young you're trying to feed them trying to get some protein into them you know you you cut it up and you put it on their tray you know and then there's this thing about okay they'll eat their dinner but then straight away they want their bottle of, of milk and there's nothing you can do about it you know you can have a huge fight so how far do you have to go um remembering back to those days has been quite a while, but I still remember also, even when you have the actual same tray, you know, you have, you have these, you know, sitting there and the, the tray that you put the meat on, um, or might have residue left over from, if it's chicken, it's not nearly as problematic. The shit's going to spill milk all over the place. And what do you do with that tray now that you try to have display chicken now? It's more thick. Anyway, if there's chicken there, there's already what to be lenient about. So the Miri writes, you can see over here in the source uh, 45. So the Davka Katan Jain Kwahbo Lishot Shay Shaot 
Uh, we're talking about a minor or a young kid who can't wait the six hours and, and you know, really wants to have the meals close together. And um, so there he basically says that um, what we should do is for, you know, we, we can, at the bottom of the, of the paragraph, he says, at least concerning poultry, you know, mikomakom ba'of, mia irali, it's easier to digest, so the stomach will take care of it. Um, and the status of meat is more easily removed from it than other meat. So he would be makil um, with, with children. So if you're trying to be mechanech them, um, in the end of the day, if they're young kids and they haven't got to, um, we have to define the age exactly, but... Um, you could, be, you could be lenient and allow them to have the chicken pieces that you cut up for them and then followed by meat if you couldn't, if you couldn't work out a plan, you know, to milk, if you couldn't work out a plan to, uh, yeah, to deal with this. So what would you try and do? You try and get your kids to at least work with the lenient opinions or with the, the opinions that we spoke about in Minag Ashkenaz. The Bala Tosfa told you just separate out one meal and the next. So if you can work out a way to have your child have a meal and then, you know, say, okay, in, you know, in half an hour, you'll have another meal. Um, and then that's it, gets up and goes to play and then comes back. So you've incorporated the opinion of the Balayatosfot into, into, your, into your equation there, which is, which is really good. So that opinion of the Ashkenazim of waiting from one meal to the next, even though we don't use it as standard halacha, but you can see how you can apply it. And I was not, you know, you separate out the meat, separate out the meals. Um, chicken was, another, you know, is, is the issue where you can be, you can be more makil. Um, cleaning out, you know, hands and mouth and, and you know, just getting them to eat something, which is parav, and, and then drink some water or, or drink anything. That's not, that's not mochik. Then again, that also is, was an opinion of Rabbi Nutan, that all you had to do was clean out your mouth and, and wash your hands, etc. And that's good enough, meaning good enough at, at, the, at the level where you've got to compromise. So it's, it's a good way to do it. We don't give up and say to the child, no, there's no difference whatsoever, if we can. So we say, come, you have to wash. Why do I have to wash? Go, it's flashing, milking, whatever. It's fine. But the amount of time that you have to get them to wait is not really that long because you can rely on those opinions. So you'd still be in, within the psak of, of halacha, of, those, of that opinion that the Ramah quoted, which is based on the on the Balei Atos. So, basically from the time they eat food. From the time they eat their food, yeah. So, um, again, the Me'iri, uh, you know, essentially encouraged us to let the child separate between one meal and the next, uh, or at least the time it takes from one child, from the child to stop eating and start eating again. So their meals are much more frequent than our meals would be. So that's what he, that's what he would do. The Me'iri was only chicken, but now the poskim deal with meat as well. You know, um, and, and here we have, a, we have an approach to divide up the ages of a child's development um, until they go from zero to bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah as to, as to what, what we should do. So here at the bottom of page 46, um, the Sefer quotes of Shmuel Vosna, Shavit HaLevi, and um, he talks about, no, no, don't hassle until, until the age of three. 
So if the child is younger than three, you never have to wait between flashix and milfix, um, as long as you can get them to clean out their mouth or something. So that would be like Rabbi Tom's opinion, just clean out, you know, let them eat something that's solid. The, the Shukhan Aruch writes that there's certain uh, substances that don't do a good job of cleaning out your mouth. Yes, you should, like eat it if they if they eat crackers, whatever it is, like you know, that's good. Like flour, I mean, we don't feed our kids flour, but that's one example that the Shulchan Aruch has. You know, because in those days, flour could be like a kind of a, uh, a mouth cleanser. I mean, but it does, because it, it clumps up, it doesn't really do a good job of sandpapering your mouth. So flour's out. Vegetables don't work either. Vegetables don't work really either. Right? There might be some exceptions to the rule, strong vegetables, but normal vegetables are not powerful enough. A radish, yeah, but I mean, it's like bitter. You're not going to give it to your kid. Maybe no, like in general, I mean, you know, there could be exceptions to the rule, but vegetables don't sandpaper. They don't, they don't get out the, the, the fatty residue. I, mean, I, I don't know all the different, you know, saying... No, now, drinking drinking does. Drinking can clear out stuff, yes. Yeah. So you, the child drinks and, you know, but if you can give something solid inside, like a cracker, chips, you know, bread, you know, that, that all works, uh, that all works really, really well. So, you know, it's, um, it's the stuff that dries very quickly in your mouth and doesn't get anywhere. That's like uh, in the old days at, 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 at camp, we used to... Uh, we used to get kids, you know, see how many Mari biscuits you can eat and then whistle. You know, it, you know, it just doesn't work, right? In the end of the day, it just like dries out your entire mouth. So, but but again, you can you've got to work it out. But that's the way of cleaning out your cleaning out your mouth, besides with water. But if you do water and you wash their hands so the residue's off, then you've done exactly what Rabbeinatam, who's the most lenient opinion out of all of the of the poskim, with regard to waiting between um milk and meat and milk so if you do that you, you're, you're at least somewhere with your kids so until the age of three you don't have to worry just try and do what you can um to clean their mouths out with residue but you don't have to wait anything no because i've had no time and and the balatos with either a different meal or this process the only rabbi no time said the only waiting comes when you don't do any of this cleaning but if you clean yourself out then then you know that that will be fine so that's um that, so that's as far as children up to the age of three. Um okay, then um he was he was a little bit pasaphic, he was a little bit you know trying to question you know in his own mind when when it would change, what age it would change at. Um so um in the end he uh, he was a bit you know inconclusive according to the safer, but he writes here that um even if children that are older than three, that one may be lenient even regarding them. So, um, in the end of the day, children are only being taught to wait between uh, meat and milk for a, for chinuch purposes, like with most mitzvot. Um, the question is, how far do you have to go when you've got this um, this issue? In other words, it's not an issue for them; it's a it's a matter of chinuch. So, a child before the age of chinuch doesn't know any different. So. You know, there's not that much you, you want to force up until the point that the child actually knows what's going on. So, Ravavad Yosef teaches us something interesting here. And he says that 
in general, whenever you have a doubt about a particular halachic item of how to define it or how to deal with it, so we have a we have a general rule that if you have a doubt about something, you want to try and resolve what to do. So we have a basic principle, and that is that safak doraita lechumra. Whenever it's talking about a Torah law that you in doubt whether it's a good idea, not a good idea, you did do it, you didn't do it. We always machmir when it comes to uh, a din doraita. Um, when it comes to din rabbanan, the rabbinic law, as you know, we are pretty lenient. We are making. Now, there is a question is exactly as to whether we follow this rule of being machmir for a Torah law and making for a rabbinic law. Is that a Torah law or is that a rabbinic law? You know exactly how does we dealing with the svekot? How does that really work? But we have something which is interesting, and that is that if there's if you can add another element of doubt into the equation, you get to what's known as a svek sveker, like a double doubt. You know, so you often we often get into these kind of situations where you know it's, you've got this equation in front of you, and we're sitting with a doubt. So we say 50-50, the likelihood is locked, and we we, we can't really move. So therefore, we go doraita lechumra drabanan lekula. But let's say you add an, an extra element of doubt into that equation. So now you've got a much more likelihood of getting let's call it a seventy-five percent skew in favor and a twenty-five percent skew the other way. Let's call it double doubt, you know, the fakes faker, you know. So we often use that when it's, I don't know, uh, when you're counting straight out to Omer and you forgot, you know. So what do you do? You know, so you say, well, there's an opinion that holds that you can make a brocha anyway, even if you forgot. And there's another opinion that says, well, you know, you you uh, you don't have to worry about, um, you know, miss, missing out. So there's a doubt here, there's a doubt there. You put them both together and you can be, and you can be lenient. That's called a sfake sfake. You have a, a double doubt, right? So, yeah, the same thing is what Ravavadya tries to work with. If you have a look um, at the bottom of page 47, yeah, he says it's interesting as follows. He says, regarding umil b'ktanim, regarding young children, there's room to say that one can be lenient. For it's known that the poskim debate whether it's permitted to feed a rabbinically prohibited food to a child directly as uh, the Beit Yosef writes. Regarding foods prohibited on a rabbinic level, the Ran writes in Masechet Yoma that as long as it's for the need of the child, even if he has reached the age of Chinuch, it's permitted to feed the child an Isud Rabbanan, even directly. And the Rashba also writes like this. So you've got a, you've got a rabbinic food, you know, and now you've got a, a, uh, another suffolk as whether you have to wait so long, or you can go to the Makel opinions. You've got a double doubt over here, that will help you. However, the Rambam feels that you can't feed uh, a child something that's forbidden, um, even if it's only forbidden on a rabbinic level. And the, the Rambam writes here, it's forbidden to accustom a child to desecrate Shabbat, you know, even if it's only a din, uh, a din Rabbanan. And that's how the Shulchan like the Rambam. So we always have this question about uh, you forgot the light on. Can you get the child to switch off the light or open the fridge or turn off the stove, whatever your problem is? So the Rambam thinks it's a real problem. You know, even if it's a Din Rabbanan, which our lights would, most of our lights would be like that. You know, the old globes, you could argue, but the LEDs, you know, like all of these lights here, they, they don't really have the same heat properties. And, you know, the argument about that you, the ash, the fire is now being diminished through the electricity, which is burning the, the element. 
Those are the old globes, but the new ones, fluorescent lights, everything else, all a dindrabanat. So the question would be, what happens if you forgot to switch it off? Can you get the child to switch it off? Can you get the guy to switch it off? You know, these are big debates. So as far as the run is concerned, yes, you can. You can do that. And according to the Rambam, you wouldn't be able to do that. So that would be a machlokes. If you're in real trouble, no one's going to sleep. So possibly you would, you would be lenient, um, especially in the case of turning off a light, because turning off something is actually not creating. It's just, it's just stopping it to exist. So that's slightly different. But the, the argument, you understand, this is the argument. Can you give somebody something of Isur, which is it's only a rabbinic, it's only a rabbinic Isur. And there's the different leniencies about how one how one does uh, how one can work with this. So yeah, you've got a whole rabbinic problem over here. Yeah, we've got a big machlok at what Allah is with regard to waiting between um, meat and milk, and and you know starting from the Ashkenazim or very Michael to the Sardim or very Machmir. So our first big sapak is you know maybe it is okay to to wait a, a minimal amount of time. And number two, it's a din rabbanan. So Maybe as a result of that, um, we can be we can be uh, lenient because we've got we've got two variables that are working together to create uh, leniency. So, leniency number one is that we've got very lenient opinions that you don't have to wait that much at all between. You can just do clean yourself out. And number two, there's um, there's a question that the the the, the food that we're talking about is only. Uh, to children, and that's also so you really have two kinds of doubts you've got a double doubt between putting these two things together so if you put these two variables together Ravavadja thinks you have, a, have room to be lenient and that's what he writes over here that it's like a type of and we're able to follow the, the lenient opinion okay, okay so, so so you're okay with what I'm saying? You understand the idea of a, of a, of a Sveik Sveika, a double doubt? You, you understand how that works, right? Yeah? I'll just, I'll just quickly share with you something which is... It's not necessarily just the rice or the rubber, no. It's just any two. Even in a Dindor writer, if you have a double doubt, you, yeah, you, so you, it's, not, it's a more... It's more there's a double doubt. Double doubt is always more make depending on what direction it's going. Obviously. Mm. But in, in our case, yeah, that's the... That's the story. You've got two variables moving in one direction, much stronger than the variable against. So in an equation, it's like having, you know, 50-50, then add an extra doubt, you've got 75-25. That's more or less one way of, of looking at what's going on here. Okay? There's a, there's a uh, just a, apropos, you know, the, the time of year, Roshon Yom Kippur, Tshuva, etc. But there's a whole discussion about this, you know, um, when we do tshuva, the, yeah, the, the question often is, do you have to do tshuva for a, a, a din rabbanan that you violated by mistake? Do you have to, you know, what, do you, what do you do about that? So one of the very sharp comments of, uh, of Rabbi Yaakov Melissa, is, uh, known as the Nasibis, he wrote a parish on Shulchan Aruch. So he, he has a very big chidosh about this. I sort of actually quotes his chidosh, he really liked it. Uh, and that is as follows, when you when you look at the equation, this is how it works. When you violate something, when you violate an Avera, there are two components that exist in the prohibition or in the violation. One is the actual act that you did. That's a problem. So 
let's say Hashem says to us, you know, don't eat this, this is treif. You hate it, you violated the actual act. But there's a second violation that's incorporated into the act of violation, and that is you rebelled against what Hashem said. So there's the actual entity itself that you ate, and then there's the actual, there's the, there's the rebellion. There are two problems whenever you violate an Avera. Now, let's, let's just give it a bit of a framework here. That, that piece of treif is spiritual poison. So you ingested spiritual poison and you rebelled against Hashem. Those are the two things that you did. So now let's say you ate treif by mistake. You, you didn't know. You thought it was somebody said it was kosher. You, you didn't know. And it was proper treif. So there you did it unintentionally. So did you ingest spiritual poison? Yeah. Did you rebel against God? No, because you did it unintentionally. So when you do tshuva for something you made a mistake on, you don't you don't have that second component. You didn't rebel because you didn't do it intentionally. You didn't know. So why was that rebellion? You only got one thing to do tshuva for. You understand? Is that the debate, or that's the answer? That's the answer. Right. Now that when you do tshuva for a an avera that you did by mistake, you're doing it. Uh, you've got much less of a charge against you. Because the rebellion aspect is not there. Okay, maybe you should have, could have looked, you didn't, you know. So I don't know about your kids, but you know, some of our kids are brilliant at this. You know, they'll hear from somebody that this is kosher, could be kosher, would be kosher, should be kosher. 90% of the time they're right. They actually find it, you know. Every now and then we have them, you know, oh, did you really look? Did you look at this thing? You know, you know, so did you actually investigate? Did you see it or you just heard about it? Anyway. Most of the time, hopefully, we're dealing with dinim drabanan, you know. But it's always a question, you know. You, uh, what was the last? Uh, just recently, um, there there was this. Uh, what was it called again? Ugh, um, there's a shop that sells frozen yogurt on the beachfront. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Asai. Yeah. No, not asai. Frozen yogurt. So there, there's like. Uh, Anyway, there's a shop that, that sells it, whatever. Anyway, so um, Abhi tells me that Rabbi Rabbi gave a hechshah to it. So I said to him, No, there's no big ice cream. There's some frozen yogurt, something somewhere there. Anyway, so I said to him, Really? Did you ask? Did you check it out? Is it on his website? Is it somewhere? You know? So what he heard, so I said, no, 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 he heard it's not good enough, check it out. So I said, okay, let's phone him. You know, so I phoned him. You know, we have a good cashier, so I phoned him. So, you know, I said to him, have you checked this out? You know, when did you do some investigation? So he said to me, uh, I can't remember. He said there was a one called Yochi, which exists in uh, somewhere. He checked that out. That was fine. This other one, he has to go back to his notes if it's the same thing. So obviously he did it a while back. Anyway, bottom line is, you know, th these guys and all their friends, somebody already Paskin, that he Paskin, that it was good, you know. So what can I say to you? It's not so simple with these things. But there, you know, if they do eat something which isn't right, you have to check out, is it, is it Dorita Treif or Drabanan Treif? If it's Dorita Treif, okay, they thought it was kosher. They have to do Chuva because they ingested spiritual poison, but, it, but they didn't rebel. But you could argue they should have been more careful. Okay. But that's what they have to do chew for, right? Now, if you violate a rabbinic mitzvah, 
rabbinic avera. Let's say there's a din rabbanan. Like with all these things, they say, this is rabbinic treif. We don't want you to have it. And you violate it. You say, come on, I can't handle this. You know? um, and they'll say, look, you know, it's just politics. We heard this was kosher. Yeah, that's... So they'll, they'll violate rabbinic treif. So what do they have to do chuva for? Well, the Torah says you have to listen to the rabbonim. The rabbonim said, don't eat it. Don't eat it. You have to do chuva because you violated, because you ingested, you know, you, you violate, you rebelled against that was miracle. You ate rabbinic treif. But did you ingest spiritual poison? No, you didn't because it's rabbinic treif. The chachamim can't make a treif. They can't say that the ingredients over here are actual treif. They can just say, we don't want you to touch it because it looks too similar or it's this problem. But they can't make a treif. Understand? Only the Torah can tell you that these ingredients are treif. All Chazal can do is say, don't eat it. We, we separate, we distance you, the person, from the, from the item. But the item itself remains kosher. You understand what I'm saying? So when you violate and eat rabbinic treif, what you're really doing is rebelling against Hashem, but you're not ingesting spiritual poison. Yeah, you with me? So what happens if you eat rabbinic treif by mistake? So you haven't ingested spiritual poison and you haven't rebelled against Hashem. So what's your story? It says the Nesibish, nothing. You don't have to do tshuva for something that you did. Rabbanan, which is by mistake. Because none of the variables of sin are there. So this would be a similar, I mean, this would be a way to understand the mechanics behind what's going on here too. You know what I mean? How, when, you know, how, what's the nature of the Avera that's happening over here? Is it, is it actually traif? Or is it, so if, if it's, maybe it's just rabbinic. Maybe there's a rabbinic din over here. Then it's a matter of, okay, not doing it on purpose. Right, it's a child, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like the, these way, the ways of looking at things were are quite technical, but the mechanics of it makes a difference how you how you perceive these things. Same thing with a double doubt, you know, not exactly the same, but the idea is that there are complicated ways of looking at the way halacha is formed, and then you you uh, you can get a leniency, especially when when you need one, especially in the case so of this kids. Is where you can understand what somebody can say to me, just tell me yes or no. <laughs> Hundred percent, hundred percent. All see that this is the part that I find exciting. You know, mm -hmm. the end of the the end result of yes or no to me is not really that exciting. <laughs> Meaning, okay, you'll tell me that look, but somebody gives me a whole spiel. Ah, right, that's quite interesting. You know? But but yeah, most people are just saying you know yes or no. You know, like what, what what's the story? So, I have a question about what you said about the. Rabbis can't make it actually spiritually damaging by calling the place. But I don't know if we're not calling it true. No, okay, but, but it's complicated question. Should I send it to later? If, if it's relevant, give it I'm not sure if it's relevant or not. So look, look, look like this, right? The Torah tells you that this item is true. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I understand. So the rabbis can't duplicate yeah. that. So, so I remember hearing, you know, there's the Gemara that says that if you fall into the sea, and and then if, it, if they can't see the you know the, the ends of it, you can't see the ends of it, then that then then the presumption that's a safe. That, that yeah, yeah that the somewhere there's yeah sagunas and all that. Yeah. yeah. So I heard it said that 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 particular halakha actually makes it safer for people to fall into a big sea because it makes it more likely. For them to get out of the sea safe 
Would you agree with that or not? No, it's more that you don't know what's going to happen. No, no, I understand that. No, no, no I wouldn't I... say it's safer. I mean, geez, you drop into the first one and finished. You know what I mean? Like, what are you, what are you gonna, you know, what are you gonna do? The, the, halakhically, they don't know what to do with you. I hear what you're saying. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I think that there are interesting points of that. I know what you're saying. That halakha defines reality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so there is big issues about that kind of a story, especially since what's the halakha? Is the halakha saying that we just don't know what to do with you? It's a big suffix. And we've heard of rescue stories before where people land up in an ocean and eventually you don't know what happened. But yeah. but but the probability of surviving is much less. If you if you if you're in a place where there's a short, you know, no, 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 I understand um, that, but uh, yeah, it is a it is a good point that you make about. But so then that's the appeal of the, what the Nasiba said that he's actually saying. There's no, no, so she's asking that the rabbinic. But it doesn't affect. The yeah, well, the, rab the rabbinic don't make a trade. They just yeah. tell you that you're not allowed so, to come yeah, near yeah, it. Yeah, you know, that's what it was happening. Okay, now um, Rav Nisim Kareretz is quoted. Yeah, he was the chief rabbi of Jerusalem until his passing, pretty recently. Um, so he came along and he said that um, since the basic, all of these are saying since the basic Ashkenazi psak is that you don't have to wait more than an hour, um, and the and, and the fact that we do is minag. You see, how, uh, you see how interesting that is. That um, you've got these shilas and everybody's telling you, ah, oh, the Ashkenazi psak. But when you ask to keep three hours, they shake you. Psak is like what's going on here. You know what I mean? But that's how the it plays out that even when you pushed against the fence here to make a call, so um, it's it's yeah. So therefore, he 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 suggests that children older than nine wait at least the amount of time they generally wait in between meals. Can I just ask you in terms of like with the little child, yeah, under three, in terms of the tray that is eaten in hardship, then you, I mean, the food's going to be cold enough anyway. Yeah, look, obviously it's better to have two like trays. Mm. But I mean, if, but if the you know, so if the gas, you know, if the kid spills, whatever, if it's if it's if it's warm, you know, you got a warm milk and he's just had this on this meat tray, mm. you know, you you know, you can it's use it. You use it just for just for the kid. Mm. There might be something to work with. I mean, you'd have to cashier it, but I wouldn't do that. You know, you wouldn't give it to an adult. That's a surface which had. Yeah. Sorry, no, like how careful do you have to be? I mean, ideally, you'd want to, you know, mm. it's not good to mess around there. But if you have this problem, you're, you, you've got chicken and milk that's not, uh, well, meat and milk's not hot. So you can just, you know, wipe it, wipe it up. Mm. Sometimes, it, sometimes you, it, it can be hot because it hasn't cooled down yet or whatever. Yeah, that's a problem. You must cash it. it. Sure I mean, the, for the, for the child. Plastic. No, I cash the plastic. I mean, they just pour boiling water on it. Most possible can cash the plastic. But Moshe Feinstein was actually quite machmir about plastic. That's why in America, where Moshe was like the recognized posseg, no one cashes plastic, or people, very few people cash plastic, because he was so machmir about plastic. But in Israel, the majority of poskim had no problem with cashing plastic. So you, you could cash the plastic. Pour boiling water on it, you know. But um, anyway, that's the 
that's 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 the story with the uh, yeah. So you uh, you would you don't want to have trafe there. Um, also, you know, if you like, I don't know, you're playing with a kid, you're trying to get them to eat, and you're going to eat and chew it up for them, and you know, it's all yeah. you know, make sure it's uh, above board. Okay, then then Ravavad Yosef or the Alkut Yosef um, is quoted on page forty nine. So he says, a child, even if he has reached the age of chinuch, who ate meat, may be lenient and eat dairy after without waiting six hours from the time of eating meat. And you, know, you can give the food directly, etc. It's hard for kids to wait six hours. But this is a point that's important here. That's in the bold. All these kulas, these leniencies where you're going to give the child um, you know, milk after meat, it's 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 regarding food that is that is important for the child to have, but chocolates that's like really ridiculous. You don't you don't want to be making for chocolates, <laughs> you know. Um, so I, I I mean again it's it's hard to know, but if you've got this kid going mad, then it's hard to stop the child throwing a tantrum. How far do you have to go? Anyway, he's the one who makes this this uh, this point about. You should be more machmir when it comes to, you know, fruit that's not necessary. Um, all right, so this is a, a rov that I actually know, Rabbi Yashiv Knoll. He was a, he's, he's really a big time in Chochem, but he passed away very young. He lived around the corner. He's from Kvaretzion, and he learned at the yeshiva, etc. Anyway, so he gave us a quite a, a nice little breakdown. So he said, look, yeah, until until the age of three. For very small children, you can be very lenient and just separate between eating meat and dairy alone without any time interval. Once you get to the age of chinuch, between four and ten, then you should divide between meals, in which case one may be lenient and wait one hour only between meals. Um, and then from age 11 through barabat mitzvah, then already you should try and get them to wait as they uh, should when they, when they grow older. So that was his that was his breakdown, and that's how we end the section. That um, with kids, you try and teach them to uh, to wait. Um, somehow, I don't we didn't find it too difficult. I don't know what anybody else had, but it's just a matter of time that we, you know, just that's true. That, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Six hours must be tough. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that's no, true. It's true. We saw, like, I mean, even in the in certain yeshivas, they had big shiners there where their whole learning seder was rocked because of the, the fact that they had a meat meal for lunch and they wanted to give them supper less than six hours. Yeah, you saw that. There's a whole big discussion about it. Yeah, you see, um, if you just flip all the way to the summary, which is on page 52. Um, the, the summary gives us, you know, a look at all what we've been discussing. So if you just quickly flip to um, page 53. So there you see waiting into the sixth hour. That's Ravel Yashif. Waiting into the sixth hour is sufficient. The Sefer Akashra at five and a half hours. Ravavad Yosef, 
the majority of the sixth hour. So there are those who are, you know, who, who push, who are okay with that. You know, it's interesting. Ramon Chaliyah was a Sfardi chief rabbi. Six hours. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So the last point, um, the last section over here, is uh, an interesting one, and that is that you haven't, you haven't, you haven't taken uh, note of when you finished your meat meal, eating meat, right? And then all of a sudden you're trying to work out, you know, am I done? You know? Can I have that coffee or chocolate, whatever it is? So, so what do you do? How do you, if you're not sure what, what the story is? So, yeah, we have, again, two different approaches. And um, the first approach that's quoted here is the Mahmir approach. And, uh, and, 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 and it's interesting, there's a chidush in the Mahmir approach. What did we say? We said before that if you have a dindrabanan, which the waiting between the meals is, you can be makil, right? It's a, a safek in a dindrabanan, you can be lenient. So why would you be machmir? You can say, look, the whole thing of waiting six hours, it's all rabbinic. I'm not I'm sure. am I into the six, am I not? Safek drabanan, okay, we should be makil. So yeah, it's interesting that this uh, famous halachist, the Yad Yehuda, he says that one has to be Machmir. Why? He says because um, there's a, an interesting law that we have, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but we'll just introduce it to you. And that, and that goes as follows. You know, in the laws of uh, nullification, bitul, we have two major applications that we work with. We have a concept of a mixture coming together. Let's say uh, you've got foods that are cooked together. Um, when they cook together, they can be butter. They they are defined. Mixtures of foods are defined by their majority. So, if you want to know what a brocha, what brocha to make on a on a on a whole bunch of food, yeah, what's the majority? What's the majority ingredient? And then you and then you're good to go, right? That's that's how you how you normally work. But if you've got that's if you've got foods that are cooked together, which aren't allowed to be cooked together, meat and milk, kosher treif, there, if the foods are the same taste, then you can say, okay, what's the majority? But if they're different tasting foods that are put together, then you have to be batal bashishim, one in 60. You have to get to all of that. So you're, if there's one in 60 ratio, then, then it's okay, right? What happened with, with your story? Did you measure? No, I never. Did. No, I didn't measure. Ah, that was such a fun experiment there. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so we were trying. We were trying to work out how did it go again. We were trying to work out. I remember we managed to trade off our kitchen so many times. Right, <laughs> but we, yeah, yeah. So I forget the exact thing of the shiner there, but we were trying to work out. You know, if there was enough, was it soup? What was it? Um, Do you remember? I think it was pasta. Boiled pasta in a clay shaped pot. That's right, that's right. I so used you, a milkshake spatula that I had just used the day before. Right, so you had this milkshake spatula, and, and we wanted to work out if there was bitul. Was there enough water or ingredients in the pot that would be sick, that be 60 times more than what the, the milkshake's coming out of that spatula, right? Something like that? So I was trying to work out if we could use the Eureka system to do to work it out, how much water displacement, and then measure that way. 
But anyway, so we were talking about all of that. That's a concept of either bitl barov or bitl b'shishim. Now, this, this, you know, you know of this stuff, right? The question now is: there are certain exceptions to the rule where nullifications don't work. Yeah, one of them is something that will eventually become permissible cannot become butter in in any ratio when it gets mixed incorrectly. If it's going to become mutar, you know, in a in a couple of days' time. So let's say, for example, chadash. Uh, you know, this prohibition of eating grain which hasn't passed the 16th of Nisan. So in any the, the year, the cutoff year for eating grain is the 16th of Nisan, the day, first day following Pesach. So let's say you uh, sowed wheat after the 16th of Nisan, and it took a while, a few months later, you've got this beautiful new fresh grain. That grain is called chadash because it's new. It's within, it's within the new year of the 16th of Nisan to 16th of Nisan. You, you're not allowed to eat that. We have a din. You're not allowed to eat that grain. You've got to wait until a korban has been brought the next Nisan, and then you can, and then you can eat it. So if you've got very fresh, very fresh uh, cereals made out of grain, you can't just uh, be, you can't just go and have a, a bunch of special K. You know, it's all oats and grains, whatever. You've got to know when it was produced. If you're going to keep the laws of Khadash, let's just say for the sake of clarity, you know, that, that there was a leniency not to keep it in Chutzaretz, but yes, to keep it in Israel. But really, a lot of people wanted to keep it in Chutzaretz also. So when I first came here, like 20 something years ago, I phoned the Kollel in Melbourne to ask them about this Khadash. Does anybody keep it? Um, because you know, Arab on him were mucky that you should keep it. Anyway, I spoke to Ravanovitz at the time, and he told me that they'd done some investigation. And the investigation yielded the following fact, which I think has changed since then, that all flour that you buy in the supermarkets today is at least 18 months old. So you think you're getting fresh flour. It's been stored in the silos until it's packaged and then brought in already for you. That's, that's fantastic for Hadash's point of view. That but they tried it at the bakery, they tried it in the bakery, and the mass failed. That is huge infiltration. I know I tried it as well in JLC. We had a, <laughs> to keep flour, uh, so we had we had bags of flour that we kept, you know, uh, just to anyway. Bottom line is, it's true, you have to certainly, I mean, it's human. Yeah, we tried it doing it ourselves, and we put the yeah, the, the flour in our freezer. But that's the only way because otherwise it's going to get yeah, it's 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 freezer. Yeah, freezer. Yeah. That's the no, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, the din is let's say some, let's say some. So, so in the end result was that there wasn't a problem in Australia 26, 67 years ago. But I Googled it a few years ago and technology had changed a lot. And now you were getting fresh wheat, you know, within six months of, of planting it. That's a huge problem from Khadash. You know, and different seasons of the year, especially, you know, anyway, bottom line is that there was problems. So if you're going to be makbid on khadash, you're going to have a very hard time. Is it from the time that it's planted or the time that it's... Um... It's got to have taken root before, you know, after the 16th of Nisan. So and normally, the assumption is that within three days it takes root. Or anyway, just to give, I'll give you this example, because if khadash flower... It has to take root after the 16th to be khadash. To be khadash, yeah. Came, it was before, then it was okay. Mm. 
Yeah. So according to one opinion, the people of Israel, Am Israel, cross over the Jordan River under the leadership of Yeshua. They cross over, right? What date in the year do they cross over? Do you remember this? Do you know this? What date did they cross over the Jordan River? So the Gomorrah, the Tanakh, it tells us that on the 10th of Nisan, 10th of Nisan, 40 years later, of, after leaving Mitzrayim. So they left 15th of Nisan 2448, and they cross over 10th of Nisan 2488. So how many days shy of 40 years are they? There's a few days shy. Four, four, five days, right? They cross over on the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. There's four days. You know, maybe five days to the, if you count the 15th too. So there's this, this issue. They had to, so the Tanakh, according to the one way the Gemara learns, it says that they couldn't eat the grain of Eretz Israel immediately. They couldn't eat local produce. They had to wait until the 16th of Nisan, five days, uh, had to pass until they could bring a Korban Omer and then all the local produce was okay. So what they subsist on. So the Gemara says the man lost the last, the last, um, you know, how do you say, it? the last uh, provision of man that, that arrived there had some miraculous uh, content to it. Because, you know, that I mean, the whole thing was miraculous, right? But generally the idea of man was that, it, that if you didn't eat it in one day, it like went moldy. You can't serve it from one day to the next. You can't store it, you know. But the last, where the, the man stopped falling. You know the date when the last... Uh, Provision of man dropped down from Shemaim. And you know? You do know. It's just somewhere in the back of your minds. It's in whose merit did the man fall? That's the water. Moshe, right? So when did Moshe die? Seventh of Adar. That's when it stopped. So look what happened to this man, right? This this pitta-like thing, this lava fell down on the 7th of Adar, and lasted all the way until the 15th, 16th of Nisan. That's that's pretty good going. What do they call it in the, in the Hobbit? Lambus Prince. That's what it was like, right? It was like, that's the, that's the Habdil, that's the thing. Anyway, bottom line is, according to this whole way of the Gomorrah learning the story, they couldn't eat the Khadash. So let's say Khadash produce falls into non-Khadash produce. Yeah? So normally it's like, okay, look, a fistful of flour, which was Khadash flour, got mixed in with a normal bag of flour. With a, you know, now what, what, what do you do? You say, well, no problem. Batal Barov, right? You know, a whole big bag. The majority is, is Yashan, old flour, and the minority is Khadash flour. Batal Barov, there's no issue. Tastes the same. Don't need Batal Bishishim. It's dry. Yeah? So what's the Chidush Din? The Chidush Din is, no, no, no. Bitul doesn't work in a Dabar Sheyeshlo material. That's the phrase you have to try and digest. Dabar Sheyeshlo material. Look at it here on the, on the, in, in the page uh, 50. You see the, the first line in the Hebrew of the Yad Yehuda. He says, there's a problem here. You want to try and make this thing nullified. Batal Barov scenario, but Mishum Dahave Davar Matirin, which means is that in a certain amount of time, if you just leave it, it'll become mutar. So what happened with the Khadash? How long would they have to wait until the flower became mutar? Five days, six days, right? And so I'm saying. So that flower, the Khadash, 
is a davar sheyesh lo matirin. Therefore, can never become batel, and therefore you can't ever you can't ever have the, if a little bit of chadash falls into um, a bit of yasha, and the whole thing's gone. Well, you can keep it. It's trash. You can't eat it and, oh, because it's. And you can't. You, you can't. Yeah. And because, but and but you wait until. But you wait. You wait after. Yeah. When you wait yeah, after, it's all good. Yeah. But at the time, it was chadash, right? Mm. So you got a you got a problem. So yeah, you can just wait. So look what the Yad Yehuda says. Can you see how he applies this to our question? What's our question over here? You don't know exactly what time you finished eating meat, so do you have to wait the maximum time. You know, it's like in a, a bad parking lot scenario. You ever happened to you? You lost your ticket in the garage. I said, oh, you lost it. We don't know how long you've been. Yeah, you gotta pay the maximum. So you don't know how long you kept. You gotta you gotta wait the maximum, right? <laughs> so 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 what? So we we say, hey, listen, Safak You know, so the Yehuda says no. You know, when when, when there's an issue to eat basar bechalat. So not waiting the right amount of time is not eating basar bechalat, right? Uh, so you say, ah, oh, it's, it's a rabbinic rabbinic din. So he says, yeah, but all you have to do is wait a little. If you wait a little bit, then you'll be for sure muta, correct? You've got to wait the whole thing. That's that's his that's his Yiddish. Right? Anyway, thank God people argue it, right? Um so yeah, you see the other poskim. You see, like uh other poskim are more makil, and most people rule against uh, rule against him. So um yeah, in the last, in the last. Uh, Once they're mixed together, that's never going to become middle. Yeah, it can be better. Right, even if not, even if you wait, it's still. A even if you wait, that mixture is a problem. But the, yeah, yeah. No. What? No. So even if even if you wait, the, the time that that uh, at the time that you create the 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 mixture, the mixture is not butter. But if you wait. And then you can eat the the, the kharash becomes yashan, then it's yashan in yashan. And, that's, you and then you your, can eat it. But that's maturing. Right. But but the the new substance, which is something that has milk and meat in it, is never going that's to That's never going to become mutter. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's different. That's but different, yeah. Because it never becomes mutter. But yeah, the waiting of the milk and the meat, you're not sure how long you waited. Can you eat your milk now? Well, you'll be able to eat the milk in three hours' time or six hours' time. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a good finish, right? How do you um, calculate about the decision, like in like a practical scenario, like that scenario? Like, you don't. You <laughs> it's really hard. You have to have like a really good way of doing it. Yeah, it's, it's clear. It's okay. When we used to go to camp, uh, you know, the, the camp at camp, you have um, seriously big pots. Do you know what I mean? Like seriously yeah, yeah, big yeah. pots, right? Mm -hmm. Those kind of pots are easy. You can work it out. But at home, it becomes quite hard. And, and, I mean, you can do a measurement. It's not like you can't. You can. You can mathematically try and calculate it. And there are ways to do it. But uh, it's not easy. Not going to be accurate. Uh, yeah, so you have to try and obviously get to a level of accuracy. But, you know, Batal Shishim is a big thing. You have to take... You, have, you, you take the whole, let's say it's just a, like a spatula or a, or a ladle or something like that. Or there you've got the whole, the whole volume of the item. You've got to make sure you, you've got to measure the volume. That's what we were trying to do. 
get some measurement of what that spatula displaces, and then work out how much volume of water you know is in the pot. And then if you see, okay, look, the spatula displaced. What did we work out? I think we tried to work it out. I don't know. We came. I worked out a cheshbon of some sort. You know. I'd that, imagine that it would be about the tissue. That can be. Uh, I mean, it can be. Like, depends on what's happening. If you've got a, you know, like often a person has a uh, a teaspoon that they use for 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 coffee, tea with milk. Yeah. You know, people like. I assume you like coffee with milk. And then all of a sudden, somebody used that teaspoon in a flash cup. You know, in your in your you know Friday night, you're giving you one tea, yeah, one tea. So you know, somebody who doesn't know what's going on in the kitchen, like me, will do that. You know, so all, oh my God, what have you done now? So you got to work out now the shishim of that spoon. How milk is it? You know, so you most. You mentioned that it was that the ladle had just been used. For yeah, it was a benyo more ladle. So it makes a difference. It's not benyo more. Yeah, yeah, ladle. makes a big. Also, you know, our flashy cups are they really flashy? Yeah, they're not, uh, not really flashy. Yeah, even you know, even 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 like a, well, I have to run. Even even like a regular a knife, a flashy knife, you know, like a sharp knife that you cut uh, onions with, right? Sometimes you can that knife that you think is flashy isn't really that flashy. Mm. You got to cut something really hot, like you got to mm. cut boiling meat with a knife, mm. you know, for that. That vegetable knife or whatever that used to cut onions. Mm. It's often you when you start asking the questions, you, you see. It. But anyway, this is the important thing for you to learn. It's a good cloud that Davashiational material doesn't become butter. Mm. And then the last bit I'll just leave you to, to read through, and we can just uh, summarize in the first five minutes when we meet next, is the argument against against the Swara. You know, why why is it that he's wrong? Why isn't what's the argument against against the the Yajuda. All right, so I'll leave you there. And now we've got um we've got 